Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome to Resilient Minds 365. I'm Cleone Crawford and I'm your host. So today, everyone, we have a wonderful guest with us. We have Mr. Wayne Gray with us. Who is Wayne? Wayne is the co-founder and partner of Kui Nua uh, Consulting Group, as well as a clinical social worker for an assertive community treatment team with one of the largest mental health agencies in the country. His undergraduate education and training began in the United States before bringing him back to Canada, where he completed his master's degree in social work at Ryerson University. His career is influenced by anti-oppressive framework and has therefore equipped him with a solid foundation when addressing issues of anti-Black racism, factors in contributing to the marginalization of racialized in individuals in the mental health sector and the role of advocacy mobilization and allyship in underrepresented racialized groups facing various forms of systemic oppression. With that said, I now present to you, Wayne Gray. Hey, Cleone. Hey, Wayne, good to see you again. Good to see you. Wayne, um, Wayne is actually one of my case managers for, with um, an organization that I actually receive support from. So I brought him on here because I, I believe he has some really interesting insight into mental health. And I'm hoping that you guys are gonna enjoy Mr. Wayne Gray. Well, thank you for having me, Cleone. Okay, so first of all, I'd like you just to tell us a little bit more about your profession. All right, uh, yeah, social work, um, broad profession for sure. Uh, my, my niche is right now working social work and mental health. Uh, it gives me the opportunity to work with individuals who uh, have been clinically diagnosed with a mental illness. Uh, the, the niche that I work in, Cleone, um, it is one that is a little bit more specialized. So those who are living with a severe and persistent mental illness, um, which uh, if gone untreated can really uh, throw a wrench into a person's quality of life. So um, in my profession, uh, or what I'm doing right now is just being uh, uh, sort of like a social broker, uh, ensuring that those that I'm working with are hooked up with the right services that would help them uh, be able to live the quality of life that they uh, are so richly deserve. In addition to being able to um, get some more education around their illness. The nice thing about the, my profession, or at least the, the, the niche that I am working in is that it's a multidisciplinary approach. So it's really nice that we can provide kind of like wraparound services for the folks that we work with, where we have people with all sorts of different skill sets and discipline um, and, and uh, forms of education from, from case managers to psychiatrists to occupational therapists to concurrent disorder specialists to other social workers. 
Um, so that is a real special kind of um, ideal approach that we we uh, really are very, very proud of. For me personally, um, the fact that I'm in a profession where I get to support, educate, advocate, um, do all of those things interchangeably, I think is probably one of the most unique, um, the unique characteristics of, of being a social worker. So wow. hopefully that, that helps. Yeah, that definitely helps, definitely. So why did you choose to work in mental health? You know what? I, I don't know if I chose to work in mental health. I, I, I think mental health chose me um, in a way. Uh, it was, I mean, when I was in, in the States, I, I did undergraduate uh, work in, in Boston. And um, I, I remember, you know, uh, a friend of mine who was not even in the social work program, but, uh, you know, just... I guess based on my personality, um, based on how I interacted with people, uh, was saying, "Hey, you know what? You you should really think about uh, looking for a job or internship in this organization because I just think that you would really fit well with with what they what they do and and the people that they work with." And I, I took the person up on the offer and um, found out that it was a uh, a mental health agency. Um, that pretty much does what, what I do now, but it was, my understanding was, uh, it was one of the first programs like this, uh, at least in, if not in the country, definitely in the state of Massachusetts. So, um, I, I, I interviewed for it and, uh, the, the, uh, person I was interviewing with felt like, yeah, it would be a, a good fit. Um, and that's when, you know, uh, I was sort of baptized in the world of uh, mm -hmm. mental health and um, yeah, just really, really enjoyed it uh, from there and, and, and saw that, you know, this was something that I could do, you know, for, for the long term um, because it, it allowed for me to not only uh, meet and work with, with individuals, but then, you know, I, I was able to work with their families or work with other service areas and and sort of uh get a sense and a lay of the land uh, from hospitals to you know uh support or group homes um to uh working with with the government and, and different um facets as it related to policy development or you know a specific service uh that the person needed uh so yeah that's pretty much how i got into mental health and i've just been doing it for the last 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I did not know it's 15 years. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while when I think about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. So my next question is mm. how considering the challenges that you may have in your field, like the pressures, how do you manage your own mental health in the profession that you're in? Oh yeah, great question. Um, I, I, if I had to choose one word, I would have to say support. Um, we're realizing more and more that the, the more people that you have around you in your support network, uh, the better off you're likely to be. Um, Work-life balance is not an easy thing to find. 
you know, I know we throw that term around a lot. Like it's a pretty cliche-ish term, you know, you need work-life balance. Well, what does that look like? Exactly. I mean, depending on what, what it is that you're doing, work-life balance is not, is not easy to achieve, particularly when you think about what we've had to deal with this last year where, you know, mm -hmm. everyone's life has been thrown upside down, basically. Um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, um, and I know you could relate, Cleone, uh, you know, where a mother is trying to balance work and or school and or also helping their children with their own schoolwork at home or even a father in that same situation. So work-life balance is not necessarily the, the, the easiest thing to achieve uh, to, to help balance your own mental health. So supports really do help. Uh, for me personally, uh, family supports. Uh, I do um, have the opportunity of working as a psychotherapist as well. And so we've been very intentional of, you know, the, the, my colleagues, my other psychotherapists getting together and creating a group so that we're at least able to, you know, vent and or, you know, just let off steam or, or uh, talk about things that are difficult in our own lives you know, at least once a month. Um, the fact that I work with a, a specialized team for the agency that I work for um, is also really helpful. Um, they're like family in a lot of ways. And in fact, when you think about it, um, just by the nature of the job, we probably spend more time with each other than we do with our own families. Right. Um, again, just based on what we do. So it's really important for us to have that that camaraderie, being very close knit, and, and and understanding and working with with one another. Uh, so support is definitely something that's uh, important to me. Music, exercise, um, you know, when I can, are also really important. And and just being able to just, for lack of a better word, just bug out, whether it's with video games, um, you know, just things that are totally mindless sometimes, where you just can sort of check out for an hour. Okay, so in to continue with that question, so what support is currently available to professionals in the field to help with their mental health considering the pressures? What um, are there, th um, you, you mentioned that you guys had, you would have like a support group um, among yourselves and we can vent. Um, what other supports are available for professionals because I mean, you guys take on a, a big burden. Um, right. So I assume that there, you guys may need some sort of outlet in order to release, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, no, um, you're absolutely right. I, I do know that, uh, you know, again, our, our agency has a, uh, an EAP or an employment specific, you know, employment assistance program right. that we're able to tap into um, we've got people internally that really try to ensure us that, you know, whether it's through email or some other uh, media platform to just ensure us that we are in the know when, it, when it, it comes to having, you know, other additional professional supports that, that are available. Uh, so like I had mentioned, being a psychotherapist, um, one of the things like uh, that that we have been really intentional about is being able to offer services virtually. So 
that now is becoming something that people are gravitating towards where, you know, you can go online and, and literally put in virtual therapist or, you know, virtual mental health assistance and, and, and things will pop up for you. So those are the things that, that really comes to mind um, is the EIP, the virtual uh, platform, again, just based on, on what we're dealing with. Um, but yeah, I, I would leave it there. I, I'm sure that there are others, but I'm just trying to think of the ones that are probably right now the easiest to access. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So now I'm going to switch the questions more towards um, other, you know, people with mental health challenges. So mm. the question is, considering the diversity of, in mental illnesses, what are some of the most common mental illnesses and their symptoms? Mm. Wow. Okay, good question. Um, I, I, I would say if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about, um, you know, mental health in general, um, I, I would say that anxiety, depression um, are probably two are the more common mental health challenges mm -hmm. that you will find. I, I don't have the percentages right now or, you know, at the, the, the top of my head, but I, I will say that um, at least just given my experience, that when I am, you know, doing an intake or, you know, meeting with a client for the first time and I'm going through what their intake form looks like, um, it's typically generalized anxiety or anxiety related to something specific. Uh, major depression um, is, is, is also something that comes up a great deal. And again, you know, it makes sense too, uh, given what we're, we've been dealing with the last year in terms of the the restrictions that we've been dealing with and that sort of thing. Um, it is just left people either feeling, you know, sad for long, long periods of time or anxious for extremely long periods of time and not knowing, you know, what to do with that sort of energy distortion. Um, symptoms would include, you know, inactivity when it comes to d depression, you know, mm -hmm. things that you typically would enjoy, you are no longer finding enjoyment in that. Lack of sleep, uh, lack of uh, an appetite, um, irritability, um, you know, um, maybe some forgetfulness, uh, some confusion, getting overwhelmed very quickly. You know, those are, are some things that would likely happen. Anxiety um, can, at times present in the same way where, you know, if you're, you're anxious, you can get overwhelmed very quickly. Uh, you could lose, you, you know, your appetite, you know, you could uh, lose sleep. Um, uh, there, you know, um, there are, are, are times where just in, in terms of, you know, trying to re recall something or remember something um, could, be, could be difficult as well. So they, they do have some, some similar um, symptoms as well. Uh, it's one of those things where when you talk with the individual, you can get a better sense uh, of what it is that that is going on. Uh, but those are probably the most common. And particularly, you know, uh, when I think about um, the generation coming up. So for uh, one of the, I think the interesting things for your audience, Cleone, is when you think about the Generation Z demographic, you mm -hmm. know, so those are 
our, our kids, I believe that, you know, 2006, born, um, you know, 2006 and, and beyond or after 2006 would be in the Generation Z demographic. And that is a demographic that, you know, we know they've, they, they've never known a world without a cell phone. So in terms of just being, you know, overstimulated with the amount of data that our cell phones, you know, our little pocket computers uh, carry and that sort of thing, you know, mm -hmm. that can lead to a lot of different things. The, the, the access to social media, you know, those are the type of things that we think are pretty benign um, but not necessarily. And, and we're seeing now like there, there's research data that's showing for the, our demos, de, uh, Generation Z demographic that you know, they are one of the uh, demographics that are showing the highest uh, percentage now of depression and or anxiety. Yeah. The good news though, is that they're also uh, a demographic that's not afraid to necessarily seek help should they need it. Okay, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. It's good that they're willing to seek out help, even though that generation tends to be quite antisocial. Um, yeah, and you can guess why, right? They yeah. don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> they got everything right in their phone. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. Definitely. So my next question is, so what are a few things that you have learned from working with your clients? What is helpful to them and what isn't helpful? Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's start with what is not helpful. Okay. Um, so I think one, what's not helpful is uh, creating a, a power dynamic. Uh, and what I mean by that is creating a dynamic where uh, the client um, feels like uh, they are quote unquote, just a client and the person they're working with is the clinician, you know, the be all end all clinician and or, you know, the, the therapist making all of the decisions. And there's this, this power imbalance that that obviously takes place. Um, I, I don't think that fosters trust necessarily right. or not the, the, the type of trust that's, that's needed. Uh, so that that's one thing I think it's 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 really important as as clinicians or people in the professions really try to establish a relationship where you know they're respecting the person that they're working with and and um, you know respect how in fact you know uh, their decisions their actions um, are are just as much a part of them and the whole dynamic as as anything else. So in other words, being client centered uh, is part of that. You know, if you are a client centered professional. That means that you know you're you're working in collaboration with that client. Uh, I think it's important, um, you know. Again, uh, just being a, a you know a black male myself, and and uh, you know having a, a, a burning desire to to educate you know marginalized, racialized communities, understanding that you know systemic oppression comes in various forms. Um, and one of those can be, you know, um, in, in the interventions that uh, people can decide to use, you right. know, um, with, with individuals uh, as it relates to uh, either being in crisis or, you know, 
needing help uh, mental health wise. So um, I'm not here to, to, to pick on any particular institution, but what I am saying is that it's, 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 it's not in the best interest, uh, a working interest, uh, working with a client where uh, you're making decisions about what is the best step to take without consulting the client first right. and letting them know exactly what it is that you feel uh, is the best approach um, and, and having a discussion around that. So I think those are a couple of things that are not what not to do. What to do, um, you definitely want to develop a good therapeutic rapport. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, you and I, Cleone, we talk, you know, I always say to you, I want to be transparent with you. Yeah. Um, I want to be, you know, make sure that, you know, you and I have an understanding of what's going on. Um, so transparency, I think is important. Equality um, is, is something that's going to foster a, a good relationship. Um, you know, being able to, to just hear the client's perspective. In other words, to have a great deal of empathy, like yeah. to hear what the client is saying and then say to yourself, well, wow, if I was in that position, you know, I would likely be feeling the same way. Um, or what would I do, you know, now that my client has, has, has explained this to me. So I think those are a few things that, you know, should be taking place in that relationship. Okay. Those are some really good points. Empathy and uh, making sure that you're transparent. Those are some really good points there. Um, the next question I have is, uh, when a family or friend is in crisis, what information do you require to help that individual? Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna make this, I'll try to make it brief. Because <laughs> you, know, you typically would want a, as much information as possible. But I think, um, the, the first thing that comes to mind, Cleone, is, you know, if the, if the person is in crisis, so what does that crisis look like? Uh, is that crisis where, you know, that person is, has put themselves in harm's way or, you know, have, is anyone else in harm's way as a result of, of the crisis? Um, what, what supports or if any, um, you know, uh, can we access really quickly, um, you know, what does the crisis look like? Uh, because, you know, crisis, again, can be pretty subjective, right. uh, just in terms of, you know, what a person, you know, we've had folks who have called and said, you know, I'm, I'm in crisis. And when you, you know, are able to sort of tease out what's going on, then you, you, you change your, your, your game plan, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I think to answer your question, Cleone, I, I'd want to know, you know, Again, uh, anyone in harm's way, either the client or, or you know, whoever's with the client. And, uh, you know, is there any supports that can be accessed really quickly to, to help, you know, alleviate whatever that crisis, crisis is? And if not, do we need to then, you know, call some professional to, to help or, you know, intervene in, in that regard? But I think that's where I'd want to start. Okay, cool. Um, and what are some things that family or friends do to loved ones in crisis that they need to stop doing? Ooh, yeah. Um, 
one of the things uh, that is not helpful, and, and it probably happens in more communities than, than, we, than we think, but when, when someone is in a quote unquote crisis situation and friends and or family members are just telling them, stop it, or, you know, just get a grip, um, you know, that kind of thing. It's not helpful. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that um, we forget is that when a person is demonstrating that they're in crisis, they're acting normally, given the abnormal circumstances that are surrounding them. Right. So if a person is dealing, like if they're, you know, overwhelmed with symptoms as it relates to their mental illness, their reaction is probably, as it may look abnormal to, to other individuals, but that is a normal reaction given the abnormality of what's happening in their minds. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, I think one of the things that we, we have to sort of remember is it's not necessarily the best helpful to, uh, to just tell people to just stop. Uh, when in fact we may not be understanding what exactly is is going on. Um, yeah, I think you know I would I would leave it there. I, I I think it's just important for family and friends to be as understanding um, as they possibly can, and don't be afraid to 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 ask questions. Um, be intentional with the person that they're talking to and saying, hey, listen, I'm not trying to, you know. Um, I'm not trying to upset you. I'm asking you this question because I genuinely don't know the answer and go ahead and ask your question. So, you know, sort of preface what you're trying to do, like let the person know that you really do want to help them. Exactly, exactly, good points. The next question I have for you is, uh, what supports are available in the community to help people with mental health challenges? Uh, Sorry, what, what's the- What supports are available? Oh, supports. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Support us. That's a tough one. Um, you know what? Uh, listen, I'll say this. Honestly, clearly, there, there are, are many supports. What, what really is the challenge is how do you navigate those supports? Right. Because that's where the challenge really, because uh, like mental health, uh, even though we are talking about mental health more and more these days, which is great. Um, what we don't necessarily have, unless you are either in the business of mental health or you are a consumer or service user of mental health on a fairly regular basis, navigating the systems is not easy. That's really what it comes down to. So typically what people do is they access what they are used to, which may not necessarily be the most appropriate um, scenario or the most appropriate response to what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. So in terms of supports, you know, uh, like you had mentioned, like I, I work for a community mental health agency, um, but there's a process, right? To be, to be a service user or consumer, to be part of that, that community, that mental, you know, mental health agency. Um, and, and it's like that for, for various other mental health agencies across this, the city and or province. Mm -hmm. um, most people would probably, you know, again, depending on the situation, uh, people would likely access, try to access a hospital. 
uh, try to access maybe a, a crisis center, um, you know, uh, to, to at least get their initial needs met. But even in those situations, there's a process that needs, needs to happen. Um, the nice thing is that, you know, we have supports where, again, you know, thank God for the internet where you can Google uh, and, and find that if there are at least, you know, um, there are apps now, you know, there are apps that, again, depending on your situation, there are apps that are appropriate to access, you know, to hopefully get maybe some general questions answered or maybe to, 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 uh, to just get some some feedback with respect to something that you might be going through. Uh, there are hotlines or 800 numbers. 211 is, is definitely something that you'd want to access to be able to, to, to ask you know, the, the, the operator those appropriate questions to see if there is something more specific that you need. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, I think really what we have to remember is navigating mm -hmm. systems isn't always easy. So that's probably where the, the real challenge is. Wow. That's unfortunate that, you know, getting, a, even though the services are there, you know, getting to the services can be a challenge that can be yeah. frustrating for people. It can be, it, it really can be, uh, you know, there for, for my friends and or family who, who know what I do, you know, they will typically call me and say, hey, Wayne, you know, um, this is a situation, you know, what can I do? Uh, so we know now it's not as easy as, you know, picking up our, our, our cell phone and, and making a call and, you know, getting that, that answer. There, there, there may be things that we have to, you know, we might have to make two or three calls in order to get the service that we actually really need. Wow. Yeah. And I know that, you know, agencies and, and, and communities, they're, they're, they see that issue too and, and trying to make it easier, but yeah, it's, it's still a work in progress. Okay. The next question I have for you is, um, in your opinion, who are the ideal support systems for someone in crisis? What does that person look like? So in, in say, that, I'm sorry, Cleone. So in um, in your opinion, who, is, who are ideal support systems for someone in crisis? Oh, who are ideal support systems to someone in crisis? Ah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think, uh, so I, I, I've got the, the I'm, I'm really fortunate to be, to be working with uh, an advisory group uh, for the city of Toronto right now in terms of just looking at that very question, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of what is it that the, uh, you know, what, what, a, what, what's the makeup of an appropriate service in, in, for someone in crisis. And uh, the, the, the research and data that, that we've been looking at would, would demonstrate that um, having, having someone who uh, can really uh, understand and empathize with that individual from a life experience perspective. So a peer, if you will, mm -hmm. is something that's really important. Um, ha having someone like myself or, or you know, someone in the social work field, uh, again, who demonstrates empathy, but also has a sort of a, a, a good sense or 
uh, or knowledge of the, the, the mental health landscape, if we're talking about a mental health crisis, would probably be someone who is appropriate. I, I think a family member or someone that the individual trusts, mm -hmm. you know, has, has some rapport with, is, is also really important to have. Um, and again, depending on the crisis, you, you may need to have, you know, whether it's a, a paramedic or, you know, somebody from the emergency response services there uh, to, to ensure that, you know, uh, that that person is, is safe, again, depending on, on the crisis. But I think ideally those would probably be the three or four components that mm -hmm. would make up you know, an ideal response serve uh, or ideal team to respond to a crisis. I know it's not easy. It's, it, it may seem like pie in the sky, but right now, I think if we're talking about right now, uh, again, what I, what I like to tell people is, you know, if you feel like you've got to have immediate intervention, you've got to access emergency response, you know, if you're able to not necessarily call 911, but call directly to the dispatch center and explain, you know, what's going on so that uh, the, the, the operator is able then to at least ascertain your information and then say, okay, these are the type of services that you need. Now, that may or may not work because we know where we live, Cleone, here in, in, in the GTA, that typically when you access emergency response, you know, you're still going to get police officers showing up and, and that sort of thing, depending on, on what the situation is. But what we're trying to do is just make sure that at least there is a, an understanding of what the situation looks like beforehand. Uh, because we do know that, you know, um, when you think about just how uh, emergency response works, particularly when we're talking about about police you know they they are trained essentially to 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 do a few things right to to maintain control to uh you know ad, uh, elicit compliance and and uh and cooperation mm -hmm. um and um and and to do those things you know uh when they're trying to enforce compliance or, or maintain control or, you know, um, seek cooperation, depending on what the crisis is, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Right. And it can make things complicated. So that's why I say go through dispatch, you know, explain what's going on so they have more context. Right, right, right. Okay. And how can I support someone with a mental health challenge before, during, and after a crisis? Ah, wow, yeah. Um, before is, uh, I would say, like we, we talked a little bit about this, you know, asking questions and, and being intentional with those questions and letting them know you're not trying to irritate them, but you're just really trying to, to gain as much information as you can so you can best help them um, as best you can convey that, you know, they can trust you, um, you know, during during that, that time. Because in a crisis, we know that's that's difficult, right? It's just you just so many things going on. It's just really really hard to to make sense of of what that person uh, is going through, let alone the person themselves really trying to understand what it is when they're in real crisis. Mm -hmm. During, uh, I'd say you know uh, 
So that that's probably before, or at least when they're maybe going into crisis, if you will, those are the things that you'd probably want to do. Um, listen to them as best you can, for sure. I would say, you know, during the crisis, or at least when now the crisis is, is sort of in that phase where things are being handled, mm-hmm. uh, if you can be an advocate, you know, allyship is so important, uh, you know, just to be able to advocate for that person, you know, during the time when they are probably at their most vulnerable. Right. Um, if you're able to, 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 to step into that gap and, and advocate for that person in a way that, uh, you know, not only does the person know that you're for them, but the people that are working with them also can look to you and say, hey, you know what, Cleone really just wants to make sure that things are happening um, in the right way at the right time for this person. Uh, and after, uh, it might not be a bad idea um, to sit down and, and talk you know, um, about supports, talk about creating a crisis plan you know, that the person has input in to say, okay, these are the things, should this happen again? These are the things that I would like to see happen, you know, or these are the people I'd like to be contacted. You know, this is where I would like, you know, to go, should I need to go someplace? But I think after is, is a really good time to just sit down and plan out what, what uh, things should look like moving forward. Okay, that makes sense. Especially the crisis plan. That's a very helpful document, which I personally um, helped um, get created for me. And I, I find them very helpful, especially for other people to kind of read it and to see exactly what, what's, you know, what you're looking for when you're in crisis. And, you know, it's good to have that, have it documented. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, what are some things that you can do to support someone who mentions they are suicidal? Ha, ah, that's, yeah, that's big. Um, so that's, that's something that, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think it's human nature for us to want to sort of skate around if someone mentions that. Uh, and again, it's level of comfort, you know, that, that most of us have with respect or lack of comfort that most of us have when it comes to, you know, a situation like that. Because we're talking about, you know, someone potentially dying um, and, 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 and dying uh, unnaturally. Um, so that's not necessarily something that you, you feel comfortable talking about. But, you know, uh, when you do training, uh, trainers will tell you, no, you, you need to be direct. You need to really, you know, um, get the information and understand, you know, what, uh, where, when, you know, those type of questions. Uh, and and if, if they're saying to you when, like they have an exact time, you know, that's a, an indication that that, it, you know, let's take it very seriously. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's, you know, put things in place that, you know, are going to support that, that individual um, and be very transparent about that, that your, your intention is not to see them go, that you want to be able to, to keep that person here and you want to be able to help them as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say, um, you know, it, for, for the purpose of, of this discussion, Cleone, um, I would just say that it's important to just be very intentional with respect to 
your questions. Like maybe um, one of the questions that you could ask that person is, if, if you were to give me a percent of how much life means to you right now from zero to 100%, where would you be? And, and hear what their response is. And that and the next question, what can we do to, to, to move that up? Because I want you here with me. So what, right. what do you need right now? So we're able to push that percentage up, you know? And, and don't be afraid to, to say, who can I get to, you know, in on this conversation to, to help us? You know, someone that you can trust. Keep them involved, you know, um, in, in that conversation. Uh, Try to follow their lead as best you can because anything that they are suggesting that you know reflects that they want to be here, you probably want to really consider, you know, in your plan. Right. Um, but just let them know that you're going to be intentional, that you want them to be here. You're asking very direct questions, um, and I, I think those are good places to start. And and don't be afraid to you know to 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 ask them who can be. Who else can we bring into the conversation to help us out? Okay, cool. What if my loved one or friend needs to be hospitalized? What would I do? What do I do in that case? Yeah. Um, again, it's that's a complicated question, right, Cleone? Um, particularly in our racialized communities, um, it it's it's difficult. Uh, because the, the, the data would support that, you know, we are overrepresented in, in uh, institutions that may not necessarily be beneficial to us or in our favor um, and or even, you know, um, getting access uh, to, to a hospital, even if it's appropriate if it's not done in a way that, uh, you know, is, is, um, is taking that person's uh, dignity into consideration, it can be a pretty traumatic, harrowing experience, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, to get someone hospitalized, if, if that's in fact what, what is needed, uh, again, um, you know, we have what's available to us right now. And, and um, typically a person's going to, to access emergency response. Um, again, if possible, I would say, you know, call, you know, call the emergency response, whether it's police, call directly, ask to speak with someone in dispatch so you can properly explain what is going on ask them if they have uh, what is known as a, a mobile crisis intervention team, okay. you know, MCI team uh, to, to, to better handle, hopefully better handle what's going on. Because uh, for, for your listening audience, a mobile crisis team is, you know, a, a team of uh, a, a police officer who has been trained in, in mental health, um, as well as a mental health nurse. Uh, you know, um, I know that's still not, uh, it may not necessarily be the best option, mm -hmm. but it is probably the, uh, the option that is best right now. Uh, 
And the reason I say that is because, again, looking at data and, and, and listening to different communities around, around the city and the GTA, you know, they'll tell you that you know, um, just seeing someone in, in uniform, it can be a traumatic experience depending on whether or not that person's had you know, different run-ins um, or altercations or interactions, if you will, you know, with people in uniform. So, you know, even though the MCI team is appropriate for the situation, the uniform may be a trigger and, 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 and create some complications there. But to answer your question, Cleone, I would say if, um, you know, someone needed to go into the hospital, I would suggest calling, you know, the police department directly, not if you can, you know, of course, if it's an, a, an absolute emergency, by all means, 911. But yeah. if, if you've got a situation where, you know, you feel like in using your, the best judgment you have that you're able to call the, the police department directly, ask for dispatch, ask them if they have a mobile crisis intervention team, explain the situation and, and believing that this person may need to be hospitalized and where is the closest hospital that they can go to to be evaluated, that is probably what I would have them do. Okay, perfect. So what words of hope can you give to our listeners? <laughs> words of hope. Hey, listen, folks, there are, there are some really, really good um, supports, uh, really good clinicians, uh, service workers um, in mental health. Uh, I, it's, it's really nice to see, you know, people that we uh, would, you know, up, uphold in like celebrity status, Cleone, who, you know, are coming out and, and sharing their challenges with mental health. It's really good to see that the conversation is about normalizing mental health. I mean, the fact of the matter is if, if one in five are going to, one in five individuals are going to develop you know, um, some sort of mental health challenge in their life, you know, the likelihood is that, and the likelihood is, um, you know, we could be in that position, you know, there's, there's a strong likelihood that we could be in the position of, of needing help. And, and the truth is, you know, 100% of us know of someone who knows of someone who is dealing with a mental health challenge. So the fact is that we're, we're normalizing the conversation, um, you know, don't be afraid to speak out. Um, uh, mental health needs to be treated like we treat our physical health. It's, it's, it's one and the same. You know, if, if you don't have your physical health, your, your mental health is gonna suffer. And if you don't have your mental health, your physical health is gonna suffer. They, they're symbiotic in that regard. It's health is health. So don't be afraid to speak out um, and, and have those conversations. And of course, Cleone, what you're doing, you know, and sharing this stuff, you know, um, get it out there. You know, the fact that you um, are an advocate as well as a service user and, and putting all that, you know, this, this information out there, keep doing what you're doing. Perfect. Thank you so very much. I appreciate you saying that. So we're going to switch this up a little bit and then uh, uh -huh. we're going to end it off. So my question is about music therapy. As you can ah. see behind me, there's a book. It's called The Music of My Life, which is the book that I wrote. And yep. I talk about music therapy and I talk about my journey. 
So with, the, with that said, what type of music do you like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. All right. So I, I am definitely neo-soul, gospel um, are, are, are my go-tos. Uh, African beats is another one that I, I go to. Um, but yeah, I would say the top three, definitely gospel, neo-soul, uh, you know, African beats, house music I can get into, you know, <laughs> anything, anything with a beat, anything that, you know, has just, you know, puts me in a mood where um, that, the, that music is uplifting, like the, it's got, it's got a drive to it is going to, is probably going to keep me keep me captivated for for a minute for sure but those those are those are the you know the the three or four that I go to for sure when I just need to you know vent or or just let my you know just be in a a, a headspace that allows me to just you know enjoy okay yeah. so <laughs> if you were to describe think of a song that best describes your journey what would it be and why wow Cleone that's a tough one oh man <laughs> Uh, if I was to think of a song that describes my journey. Yes. Whether okay. it's your journey, um, your personal journey, or the journey of being a mental health advocate, or your experiences, something, anything. You know what? I, I'd have to say we fall down. But we get up by Donnie McClurkin. I'd have to say that. Okay, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, that's a good one, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, how can we stay in touch with you? What are your? Um, how do we stay in touch with you? If oh wow, yeah. Um, you know what? Um, so uh, I say okay. One of the ways, I, I guess, it depends on on like if if people are like looking for maybe to to talk with me about let's say psychotherapy or that sort of thing. Mm hmm. Uh, I, I'm certainly not afraid to talk about uh, the the virtual agency that I that I work with. I'm associated with is uh, Shift Collab. That's S H I F T C O L L A B. Shiftcollab.com. Um, phenomenal. Um, I think it's a phenomenal agency with respect to to what they do, where they have a group of really great psychotherapists who just want to give up their time, you know, in this virtual world that we are all forced to live in mm -hmm. to provide any kind of help for uh, anyone who's looking for it from, you know, students, uh, people in university, people with who are working stay at home individuals. Uh, so I've, I've got the pleasure of, of working with them. Um, and so that I just put that out there professionally in terms of uh, anyone who might be looking for, you know, um, some help with with some individual therapy or couples therapy or, or you know, whatever they feel they need to take a look. Um, I, I would leave it to you, Cleone. In terms of uh, um, Kuinua is uh, basically the 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 consulting group is. Uh, more about a, a grant writing, a resource enrichment group. Uh, so it, that, that speaks to my partner and I um, are, are individuals who, you know, uh, are 
we tap into or have people contact us, should they be interested in maybe getting help with a, a grant that they have identified as something useful for what they're doing? The resource enrichment piece is, is more along uh, what I do as, as a social worker and a public speaker with respect to providing and or identifying what other resources would be available to that individual or what we could create um, to, uh, with that person and their organization to enrich the services that they're looking to provide. Mm -hmm. So um, that email is wayne at kuinuaconsulting.com. Um, and of course, you know, they can always reach out to you, Cleone, um, you know, if anyone's interested and say, hey, how do I get in touch with Wayne? And, and I know that you would, would reach back out to me. Um, uh, Kuinua Consulting, we, we, we're, we're present on, on Facebook and, and Instagram, you know. Uh, so I, I would say that those typically are the ways that people get in touch with me. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Wayne, for um, your insights. Thank you, Cleone. I appreciate it. It was fun. Definitely. You so asked some tough questions, though. I did. <laughs> no, they were good questions. They were good. For yeah. real. I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of you, Cleone, for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Um, you are definitely a, a beacon of light and hope for the mental health community. So don't stop. Thank you very much. So with that said, and to all you resilient minds out there until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also join the community of resilient minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Wayne, um, please share it with them. Free, feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag me on Instagram. You can tag myself at onlycleone or resilientminds365. And um, remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, you can thrive and live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford and I'm signing off. <music>